Welcome. I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. Welcome back to Talking QBs with Coach Gies. This is season two, episode 31. And tonight, my guest is QB coach from Alliance Quarterback Academy, Mr. Bryce Coots. How you doing, Coach? Good, Coach. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for being on. Me and you kind of crossed paths this past summer, uh, both working with a quarterback here from um, from Manitoba, Mr. Josh Cherison, that was playing junior football out in Chilliwack for the Valley Huskers. So it's kind of neat to get to know you. And, and over that time, we've kind of been talking mechanics and drills and fundamentals. So I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to uh, continue that. And, and get you on the podcast and really deep dive into QB mechanics and uh, the progression of quarterback training. Can you talk to my audience about uh, where you're from? Talk about your family growing up. Sure. So I uh, grew up here on the West Coast. So was grew up in uh, Richmond, BC. Uh, played high school football at Hugh Boyd while I was here. And then uh, also played through the community. So I started playing ball probably around the age of six or seven. So Adam Okay. Uh, played uh quarterback kind of right off the bat I actually kind of got thrown into the position we had a, a already pre-starting quarterback who got hurt week three of my first year ever playing and they found out I could throw a football so next thing you know I'm taking snaps under center and kind of went from there so um fell in love with the position I uh, grew up watching the CFL uh, the college game the NFL game um, and yeah I just always kind of had something about having the ball in my hand every play and having an impact on the game kind of just drew me to the position. So then, yeah, I kind of committed to it and took off from there. So um, in regards to my family, I got a younger brother, about four years younger. He also played ball. He was a uh, running back, so running back and linebacker. So we were kind of like opposites of each other. Um, So it made it kind of uh, fun. You know, you could say, hey, let's go up to the park and work on stuff. And uh, he'd be always down to go do that. So, yeah, it made it a lot of fun. Um, Ended up coaching him for a bit while he was younger. And uh, parents, they were supportive in our playing careers. Neither one really played football or had any sort of drive to it, but they loved watching the sport. So, yeah, kind of got into it. Initially, they were hesitant, but uh, after we we were able to get on the field and show them what we could do, it uh, kind of spoke for itself. So, yeah. Very cool. Um, I'm interested. Do you play any other sports growing up other than football? Yeah. So um, my parents were very much of the – do something all the time. So I played soccer, basketball, volleyball, uh, baseball. Baseball was probably my other big sport at the time when I was growing up, uh, mainly because my arm, I could throw it from right field to first base. So I kind of had a a knack for that. Um, Hockey as well. Like I played every single sport you can think of. Even I was on the school badminton team for a bit. So uh, the more sports to play, the more I keep myself busy, the better it was. Absolutely. There's so much that you can learn, just the intangibles, uh, I think, through playing other sports, right? I, I've referenced before that uh, I used to play some senior men's basketball and I played basketball kind of growing up. And uh, being a quarterback in football is a huge you know, task in itself. And it kind of you know, requires certain skill set and, and that kind of thing. But uh, what I really learned from basketball was kind of like becoming a role player. I wasn't necessarily the quarterback on the basketball team, if you know what I mean, right? So I think playing other sports, not only keeping you busy and, and improving your athleticism, um, 
can also kind of teach you some lessons along the way that maybe helps you being a quarterback and understanding your teammates and the people around you. Coach, take me through your playing career. You said you started playing when you were how old? I was started playing uh, when I was about eight years old. So I started six or eight years old. I started playing in Adam, which is like just above flag out here in the West Coast because we didn't have flag football when I started. So um, it was first level nine man contact um, and basically started then and played all the way up till I was about competitively contact until about I was 21. And then after that, decided, you know, to kind of taper back a bit, had a couple concussions, dislocated my throwing shoulder and started to realize, like, was I going to go to the CFL? Was I going to go pro? And when I kind of realized that that wasn't exactly a dream, because I didn't have any ambitions really to play another position at the next level. Like I had people come up to me and say, hey, do you want to consider switching to defense and playing defensive end? Because I was six foot four and 235 pounds at the time. Um, I thought about it realized it wasn't really something that was me. I was going to have the passion for the game that I wanted to continue to play with. So I started coaching at a younger point in my playing career and decided, hey, you know what? Why not go back and give back all this knowledge that I have that otherwise I'm not going to use? I can, sure, sit on the couch and be an armchair quarterback and talk, tell people at the bar what the quarterback should be doing. But I'd much rather go out and teach kids and, and give that back and give that knowledge back so the game can continue to grow. Were there some coaches and mentors along the way through your playing days? Maybe uh, you had a real impact on you? Yeah, so there were there was two that I played for and one that I actually coached with. So um, there was Coach Doug Stavely, and he was my quarterback coach in high school. And he was probably the guy that really um, got through to me on on being a quarterback and being disciplined and the work that it takes to do that, not just – Oh, I'm going to show up to you know summer training camp and be ready to go because it's just that it was all the extra stuff you had to do all the time just to give yourself that opportunity to be at your best when your team needed you to be at your best. So in the fourth quarter with two minutes left in the game, you're not lazier than everybody else out on the field, just relying on whatever got you there. You're ahead of the game. Um, the other coach I had in high school as well was Bruce Haddo, and he was just he's the one who really got me to understand you know the game the insides and outs the schematics like film study like I could sit with him and we could go over film for hours and he really just he understood me on a level of how much passion I had for the game and you know just brought that out in me in the way that I played the way that I prepared and then finally I would go with uh, probably the biggest coach that had an in inspiration on me with coaching was Keith Pickett so I coached with Keith Midget in Langley, so one level below the CJFL, and he he really saw the ability of me to get through to the kids, to, to have the kids, you know, not feel like I was just your typical coach that I know more than you, so you have to listen to me. Mm -hmm. He could see that I was able to get to them on just their emotional level and make them feel like they were understood and they were heard. And so after I coached them for one season, he kind of suggested, hey, you know, you might want to consider doing this as more of a full-time thing than just coming out and doing, you know, the six months out of the year. Like you should try and find a way to get into this as a full-time thing. Cause he's a, you know, so much about the game and the position you need to give back in a way because that's just something you do with that. So yeah, those are probably the three biggest coaches I had that made the biggest impact on me. You know, that's excellent to kind of share that information and, and for those coaches, hopefully they, they tune in here, this podcast and are able to hear that and, you know, I'm sure that'll bring a smile to their face. I know also when we were talking um, over the summer about mechanics, you had mentioned that uh, kind of later in your career, you had 
someone that uh, was able to kind of teach you a little bit more of the new age mechanics. What coach was that? Uh, it's actually my partner, Cody Oaks. So okay. um, I started playing men's flag and competitive men's flag football. And we kind of linked up over that. And uh, Cody just kind of, he made me understand that the position was changing. Like the way we play football as a quarterback is changing. So, you know, there's certain ways that, you know, we have to have a basics and the basis of how we do things as quarterbacks, which is the same all the way around. But with the way the game's evolving, I should say, Mm -hmm. you have to be able to move and reset your base and throw off awkward platforms because, as as you know as a coach, D linemen are getting faster. The game is getting faster. And so standing back there like Drew Bledsoe back in the day isn't really an option for most quarterbacks. Tom Brady's the exception to the rule, and we all know that. But you look at most of these guys now in the league, they're, they're able to throw from all these different positions, but it comes from having the basis of, how to actually throw the ball to begin with. But that evolution off of that is it, just remarkable. You look at some of these throws, you see like Patrick Mahomes and, you know, Russell Wilson and all these guys, like the arm angles are able to throw 60 yards down the field and that ball drops right in the bucket. It, it's really, you know, something that's very interesting to watch and very interesting to see. Um, but yeah, that was basically, Cody would probably be the biggest guy that's helped me with my coaching career now and for AQA and the Alliance uh, QB Academy and just learning the new kind of the new way quarterbacks are being taught. Cause I, when I was coaching it, when I was coaching contact, I should say, I was very much the old, you know, stand in the pocket, stand tall and just drive yourself to your target. Didn't really think about, you know, like rotation and arm angles or any of those type of things and making sure your feet are in the right spot and how to reestablish your feet. If they're, if you're amongst chaos in the pocket. So Um, he was probably the biggest driving force in that for sure. Back at it for second quarter action with coach Gies and coach Bryce Coots. So coach late in my playing career, I kind of started to get the feeling, uh, you know, of wanting to become a coach. And and I kind of knew that that was just going to organically happen. My dad had coached me growing up and, uh, was still involved in coaching, when I was at the tail end of my career and I was kind of pseudo helping them on the side while I was still playing. So it was something that, you know, I, I kind of knew I was going to make that transition at some point when uh, my playing days came to an end. I'm wondering about you. Did you, uh, did you have those same kind of things? Did you anticipate becoming a coach? Um, It was kind of weird. I thought about it. Didn't I, first off, I thought I was going to continue playing like every player at the time, you know, you got that ambition of going pro and stuff. Just after I got out, I played a year of midget and I broke my throwing thing or throwing thumb on my hand and our offensive coordinator got suspended for three weeks and I knew the offense inside and out so while I was sitting on the bench on IR they asked me to take over play calling so for three weeks I did play calling and we did pretty well and uh the head coach at the time on my mission team said you know hey you ever thought about sticking with it or you know coming back and coaching and I kind of was like humming and hawing with it. And then, you know, I kind of realized I actually like it. I liked the the, the chess game that you had to play with the other team's defensive coordinator and the, the prep and the planning. And for being a quarterback, it was the same thing I was doing anyways when I was watching films. So I figured, you know what? Yeah, maybe maybe this coaching thing when I'm done playing isn't such a bad idea to go into. Cool. So you entered coaching pretty early. I'm wondering... Early on in your coaching career, did you were there certain things that you know you kind of really enjoyed about working with the guys, and then maybe anything that you found challenging being a young coach? 
Yeah. So the one thing I'd say that I enjoyed the most about coaching the guys was it still gave me that connection to the game, like being on the field, being in practice and stuff. You know, the only thing was, is I wasn't getting hit anymore. I wasn't having to do all the running and the calisthenics and all that <laughs> stuff, but you were still a part of the game. You weren't removed from it. You weren't like all of a sudden on the stands, just watching. I was still a part of it. I still had an impact in what was going to take place on the field. Um, the challenge was definitely being a young coach because getting guys to respect you was almost as hard as if you walked into a huddle as, you know, the freshman and you got a bunch of seniors looking at you to lead them down the field. They don't necessarily look at you like, you know, you're one of them. Um, so for coaching wise, and even from other coaches, right. Being a young coach out on the field, like, you know, you get other coaches out there that think you don't know necessarily as much as they do um so yeah that was probably the biggest challenges of being a young coach but you know eventually when they start to see you put in the work and see you grinding for it then then the respect kind of came with that so yeah that was probably the biggest you know most enjoyable thing and biggest challenges i had to face real recognizes real right and and i think like yep. one of the things when i was as well was a young guy coaching a lot of young guys and and, and i wasn't that far uh there wasn't a huge age gap between us necessarily it was an easy way to connect almost because we were, we were close in age and similar interests and that kind of thing. And they almost probably saw me as more of a big brother type. But one of the things that I found challenging was just the fact that like, as a coach, you can't go do it, right? Like I, right. I can teach you what to do. I can hold your hand. I can tell you, you know, the most perfect scenario of what's going to happen and where you should look and where the ball should go and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, the guy on the field has to be the one to play. And uh, I, I did find that difficult, especially as a quarterback, because it would be like, hey, look, just let me show you what to do. And, and they, you know, they have to go do it themselves. You can't do it for them. I'm interested. Did you do any kind of uh, QB specific workouts before you got involved with AQA? Yeah. So I kind of what I was doing before I joined AQA is I was kind of helping out um, quarterbacks through teams that, you know, I had previously been affiliated with. Um, or high schools that I'd previously been affiliated with. And I had coaches that, you know, knew me and knew that I'd kind of gotten into coaching after my playing career um, and asked me if I'd come out and, you know, help out, come out. Hey, can you come out to our summer, summer training camp and do some work with my quarterbacks? So, yeah, I was basically doing that for the most part. And then the opportunity with AQA kind of presented itself and kind of took that on full bore. And, and when did you start working with uh, AQA? March of 2020 last year. So, um yeah, basically, right as kind of the whole uptick of COVID happened, I kind of came on board and joined Cody, who was already, uh, Cody Oaks, who was already up here doing some of the training uh, with AQA, and met him through a uh, recreational, like, football league for, for men, and um, yeah, he kind of, you know, we have a mutual friend that kind of mentioned, hey, you know, Bryce is interested in quarterback training and quarterback coaching and likes what you do, and so Cody brought me out to a couple sessions and, you know, kind of evaluated my ability to coach quarterbacks and saw that, you know, I was worth investing time in and bringing me along as a coach in that regard. And now I'm here where I am now. In terms of AQA, I know that you you're out in BC and you're working primarily out there, but you also said in the Pacific Northwest, uh, talk to my audience about kind of uh, the reach of AQA and kind of what you guys are all about. So the reach of AQA is kind of, all over the Pacific Northwest and even into like Idaho and, uh, and some of the Midwest, uh, states as well. But basically, yeah. Um, Taylor Barton is the owner and the, the, uh, the owner and operator of AQA and Cody Oaks is also a, uh, CEO of AQA. And 
basically we work uh, from Oregon all the way up to Alaska into Idaho. Um, and yeah, we, we're trying to reach as many quarterbacks as we can just because we want to, you know, help develop the position. And so, um, yeah, in regards to areas, that's kind of where it is right now um, for us. Okay. And is there like uh, maybe one philosophy or, or, or a philosophy in general that you guys have in terms of how you train your quarterbacks? So like our biggest, our biggest thing, our biggest values at AQA is like, um, but the biggest thing that kind of makes us different is we don't claim quarterbacks. So, you know, they put in the work, they put in the time, we simply guide them as best we can and help mm-hmm. them achieve their goals. It should always be about the kids. We're not here to, you know, promote ourselves. Right. We're not here to, you know, live out our own goals and whatever, um, that we want to do. Um, and we also don't tell people what the best is for them. Like I'll never sit there, you know, if I have a, quarterback you know like josh for example josh came and trained with me this summer Mm -hmm. i never once said hey you shouldn't go back and train with yourself because you know for whatever reason or or vice versa i'm more about hey josh the more knowledge you can get from the more quarterback coaches you can get Mm -hmm. the more you can make your own educated decision on what you want to take away from everybody and for me i I think that's the best way to go about it because at the end of the day we're here for the kids i'm not here like i played i'm done like i'm just here to give you my knowledge, help you grow as a player, as a person as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we kind of let our results speak for ourselves with our clients. You know what, Coach, I love that. I'm very like-minded in, in that approach. I know we've kind of had talks about different things that happen in our own provinces in terms of training and, and whatnot. And, and I say basically the same thing to my guys, right? Like, it's not about me. Um, I didn't make anybody. If anything, I'm giving guys an opportunity to train and get better and try and like you are give them as much knowledge as you can that they can take away to make their game better at the end of the day i'm not at, you know making mandatory uh, requests that they need to hashtag me in every video they share and all that kind of nonsense i really don't believe in that and uh yeah i that really hits home to me because I, I totally agree you know you've kind of mentioned about some of the other coaches at aqa what what do those guys bring to the table what does cody oaks bring to the table <laughs> cody oaks cody oaks brings like he probably knows the position of quarterback him and Taylor, like their knowledge of it is unprecedented. Like I would have loved to have been a player and a quarterback under them and been able to train with them just with their knowledge. Like there's stuff that Taylor probably will forget that I'll never know. He just, he knows that position inside and out. Cody, Cody's biggest thing is his energy that he brings to every session that we do. When we do a session together, he's got the kids going like he's, you know, it's like you're almost strapping on the pads and ready to go play again. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and their knowledge of it, like, you know, I, I watched Cody the way he's able to get through the kids and get them to work on whatever, you know, issue they may be having with a drill that we're doing. Cody will take that time and go to the side. We may have a big group session of 15 quarterbacks. And if one of the guys or a couple of guys are struggling, Cody will pull them aside and work with them individually, but not in a way that makes them feel like they're not on the same level as the kids they're competing with. And then he puts them right back in the drill and the kids go out and they excel. So just their knowledge, their ability to connect with these kids and the passion they bring to it, it just, it honestly just elevates me and what I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be on their level and just learning from the two of them is huge for me. That's a huge thing too when you're training guys is to kind of bring that energy. And I know for myself, I'm kind of an even keel, 
relaxed kind of guy. So I like to have other coaches around me that are kind of the opposite and like to fire the guys up. Cause I think it kind yeah. of creates that the best of both worlds. So, uh, you know, I, again, great comment. I know for myself, I'm trying to keep in touch with my quarterbacks as much as I can during the year. Obviously I'm coaching high school, so I'm pretty busy and it's not, you know, uh, possible for me to kind of train them all throughout the, uh, the, the season. But, um, in terms of your relationships that you were building and, and you're able to do some training on the weekends and stuff, you know, does that, is that important to you to have that relationship and stay connected with the quarterbacks? Yeah, it is important to stay connected with them. I find the more that I'm able to stay connected with the guys and the more they feel that they can stay connected to me helps elevate them. So, you know, our policy, like at least for me and, and how I do it um, and Cody as well is like, we have an open group chat with these guys. We put all our quarterbacks that we train in a group chat and they've got questions or they've got, you know, stuff they want to go over or ask us. It's open. Just hit us up with it. We'll help you the best we can with what you're doing. Our biggest thing is too, is we're not there during your team practices. We're not there during that. So part of our philosophy when we coach these guys is you have to be able to handle things on your own as well, because we're not going to be there to help you. Um, but yeah, we, I stay in contact with my quarterbacks regularly. We talk regularly, even if it's about, college or hey coach did you see this really cool drill that i saw on this and they'll send it over and there's just constant flow of communication back and forth between us and our quarterbacks and you know at the end of the day i think it helps them and it also helps us too because it kind of gives us an idea of you know what these kids are like outside of the hour and a half that we get them on a sunday or, or what they're like even when they play their games Back at it for third quarter action with Coach Gies and QB coach from AQA, Mr. Bryce Coots. So, Coach, this quarter is kind of the, the nuts and bolts of our podcast today. I want to take a deep dive into QB mechanics. You're going to show your screen, and, and I'm going to turn it over to you, Coach. Go for it. Okay, so on this screen, Coach, basically, it's just kind of a, a simple walkthrough of quarterback mechanics, where guys should be, where their feet should be, you know, and kind of go through that. So, we kind of have a basis philosophy for us in the evolution of the QB mechanics, which is basically it needs to be short, compact, and explosive core rotation. So a lot of, first off, a lot of quarterbacks push. They push off that back leg, mm -hmm. which makes them think they're rotating, but they're really not actually activating that core. Um, the second point in our basis of the base of throwing is the extension to and through your target. So a lot of quarterbacks, you'll see it even in the pro game, they'll short arm the ball. They weren't fully get that extension all the way through their target. So you look at like Baker Mayfield here, he's going to get to the top of his drop and you see that full extension he had there. That's what we're looking for. It drives that ball. It drives it all the way. So like, here we go with Drew Brees, you know, he's dropping. The big thing here is he's balanced. He's not, he may look unbalanced, but he's balanced. He's not, you know, too far over his front, too far onto his back. He's nice. He's balanced. His feet are, you know, in a solid, comfortable spot. The big thing too here is the proper footwork. And once a QB has done it, we want to rep it a thousand times. We want to crease it like it's paper. You know, if you, you take a piece of paper and you fold it over and you don't actually crease it, it just what? It flops back. Right. We want to crease that. So the more repetitions, then we kind of go off of that and we kind of get into more advanced uh, quarterback mechanics. But for example here, you know, I'll play this a little bit farther through, but a big thing right here, look where his ball is. Mm -hmm. His ball's not up by his ear. You know, you've seen, I'm sure you have the, the Aaron Rodgers film from when he was at Cal, the, yeah. the, the Tedford thing. 
it's right at the side of his ear. Well, the problem is you put everything in this rigid spot. You want to be as fluid and as comfortable as possible as a quarterback. The more fluid and comfortable you can be, the more you're able to actually explode and be explosive through your throwing mechanics. So, you know, you watch uh, Drew Brees here. When he gets set, you can see he's got this full foot right here is in the ground. Mm -hmm. It is solidly planted in that in the ground. It's not up on the balls of his toes. It's not, it's right in the ground to create as much rotational force as you can using the ground. So as it goes through here, you'll see the, the circles will pop up here and they'll start. We're basically going to talk his, you know, you look at his knees, you look at his core, he's straight up and down and he's level. That's the other key thing here. His shoulders and his hips are level. There's no crazy tilt of, and a lot of young quarterbacks, they go with the, you know, they see the Patrick Mahomes lean all the way back or the Aaron Rodgers and flick this ball. The problem with that is those are generational talents that have right. done years and rep after rep at doing something. You're a kid. Yeah, you got a strong arm, but you need to make sure you know the basis of what you're doing before you can get to that stage of where, you know, those quarterbacks are. And the biggest thing is the level hips, level shoulders to create that rotational force and being straight up and down. We tell our quarterbacks, or at least I do, if you're six foot three, you got to have a bend in your knees like Drew Brees here. Well, that naturally will bring you down in height, but you want to have that chest and that upper body to be straight up so you can try and reach back to being six foot three. And if we go through this here, you can see these arrows that are coming up and his eyes are down the field. You see the carry spot. And when he comes through here, you'll see the rotational force drive off that back leg. That's the key here is these knees and everything are in, in conjunction. They're solid. And he's going to drive that knee towards his target with the rotation from behind. So I can move it a little farther ahead here. And you can see right there. Yeah. You watch his foot. You can see that angle that's developing here. He's not pushing. He's rotating. This hip is going to cut his back hip here is going to come through to his target first and his leg will come through after. But you can see everything's compact here. The ball's up. It's in a nice spot. He's comfortable with it. But everything's compact. The other big thing for quarterbacks is this left, you know, your forearm on your front shoulder. Mm -hmm. A lot of quarterbacks will drop that arm or they'll wing it wide open and they'll completely open. The problem when you do that is now you've created this huge flex in your chest that limits your movement. So if we watch through this here with, with Drew, he's going to drive that ball, but he's going to keep everything compact. He's just going to turn that foot. That ankle is going to turn, and he's just going to drive it right through. So we'll go to right about here. So this is where we'll see that hip drive. So as you can see the circles, and he's still level through here. He's not up on some weird, and see that rotation? Yeah. That's what we're looking for. That hip came through first. You can see the leg still behind him. That rotation right off that back foot right through and the other big thing here mm. is if you look how he finishes this front leg isn't way out in front of him it's still within his frame it's still within his body work and that's where a lot of quarterbacks when they want to throw that deep ball they get in a lot of trouble is they will overstride they will take that front leg and they will push it so far down the target to towards the target that they'll actually limit their ability for their hips to rotate and that in turn limits the amount of throw power and rotational force they'll get on that ball. So there's a ground force element with that back foot, and then the rotational force is coming from that back hip, right? So when 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 I hear other coaches talk about chasing your hip, is that what you're talking about there, Coach? 
Yeah. So basically that's what we're talking about when we say chase your hip, because your hip has to go first. If you don't allow your hip to rotate, like I'm sure coach, you've seen that Dak Prescott pregame video where he's flipping his hips, moving down the field. That's a phenomenal drill to do with young quarterbacks. Even the guys I have now, I tell them in the off season, Hey, that's a drill you need to do all the time because that drill starts to teach you that your hip goes first, then your leg, like, your leg here is connected to your hip, so it's going to follow it. But mm-hmm. if you let the arm dictate and the shoulder dictate that going first and then your hip follows, you're not really using your lower body at all. Your lower body needs to start that throwing motion. So if we go back here a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe I can actually go forward here and go back to right about here. So if you watch Drew here as he comes through this throw, we'll see if they can get a little bit. So that hip's going to come through. And when you watch him finally let it go, you see how his shoulder and hip are almost in line. Yeah. They're almost working together simultaneously. That's what you want. So you can see it as he drives through here, this rotational force, the hip comes through and then that they're all in a line together on that same angle. And that's what you're looking for. You want to chase the hip. You want to have it where your quarterback's back leg is chasing his hip. And it's not like a huge discrepancy. Like you see some of these, you know, quarterback coaches, um, have been out there and they, you know, are showing these guys their legs way behind them and not moving them forward at all. And their hips are rotating, that's fine. But you're putting stress on your hip. You want to have that leg feel free to come through because that's bringing that momentum with you that you've just created out of the ground and out of that rotation in your in your lower half. You know, kind of going back to what we were talking about at the beginning about kind of the evolution of the mechanics coach. When you're talking about the QB's off arm, so in in the diagram they're showing us of Drew, his left arm stays compact and tight to his body, right? I I can recall being taught as a youngster to use that left arm, and you were kind of talking about, you know, kind of flinging your shoulder open. I was actually, I remember being taught, and I definitely taught this, was like, it's almost like throwing a punch. Like, if I'm going to throw a punch, my left arm has got to drive the force or break the window behind me or clear the cobwebs, Right. right? So that was all kind of the old school stuff. And and just recently, I mean, within the last couple of years, I definitely just started to notice from studying some of the, the better quarterbacks coming out of college that that's not how they threw the ball. And then I really kind of over COVID took a little deeper dive. But uh, man, that was awesome uh, demonstration and just uh, information for the quarterbacks out there. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Is there anything else you want to add on that, Coach? Yeah, so like in regards to what you were just talking about with the left arm, so it's not so much about keeping the left arm in uh-huh. as much as it is controlling its movement. So a lot of the time, like you were saying, you're taught to swing that front arm open. Well, when you what happens sometimes when you swing that arm open mm-hmm. is you actually throw your shoulders out of alignment. And yeah. the minute your shoulders go out of alignment because, you know, you get kind of crazy with it, and a lot of kids do because they think, oh, I got to whip this open if I'm going to create any force. That's the misconception of quarterbacking is the force comes from your lower half and that core rotation. What you got to do is learn how to control it as you funnel it up your body into your shoulders and into your arm. And if you wing that front arm open, you kind of lost control of that. So you want to make sure you keep that arm here and it does open, but it doesn't go crazy when it opens. It stays nice and tight to our body Mm -hmm. as it opens and that'll allow you to get that rotation on the ball. Right. Using your hip to rotate not exploding and kind of powering through from your back leg, right? Right. It's the push off the back leg that gets you into trouble.
Back at it for fourth quarter action with QB coach Bryce Coots and Coach Geese. Big weekend coming up this way for my hometown Bombers. We're going to try and defend the cup. I'm interested. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Great Cup matchup? Who do you like, Winnipeg or Hamilton? That's kind of a tough one. Um, you know, Winnipeg's definitely been the power this year in the CFL for sure. Steamrolled pretty much everybody they played except for a couple slip-ups here and there. They're a pretty well-rounded team. Um, but the thing about Hamilton right now is they're, they're kind of that that playoff team you don't necessarily want to face because they kind of seem to have bonded together and they just seem to be making plays at the right time and you know carrying the momentum from game to game. So if I was to pick one, I'd probably lean on Winnipeg just for the pure fact that they were there last year. They've won it. Um, they definitely you know have had this stellar season. So I probably would go with Winnipeg. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was having a conversation with my dad the other day and we were talking about kind of who has more pressure on them. And he was kind of thinking that Hamilton had a little bit more pressure on them, kind of come up against the juggernaut of the Bombers and how good they've been this year. But uh, I kind of said the opposite. I'm like, you know what? All the pressure's on Winnipeg to repeat. And I think Hamilton just has to go in there and play their game. So it'll be interesting. It it should be a good matchup. I've got uh, some former players that I used to work with on either team. So it's kind of neat to see who uh, who takes the cup at the end. Uh, how about the quarterbacks? Who uh, who do you like? Uh, do you like Caleros? Do you like Evans? Do you like Mazzoli? Which QB do you think is the best there? And what's going to happen with the quarterbacks in Hamilton? Who, who are they going to play? So I like all three quarterbacks. They all bring something different. Caleros, to me, he's almost a duplicate of Russell Wilson in some aspects. The way he makes things out of nothing when i watched him last year in the great cup and in that run for winnipeg last year or sorry i should say in 2019 mm-hmm. some of the plays that guy makes you just kind of shake your head and you're just like how how did he get out of that how did he make that throw so you know i really like Calaris's game it's more of an off script type of quarterback he's not your typical rhythm passer in that regard dane evans you know, he's that big arm bombering type quarterback, boom or bust. You know, he always wants the big play down the sideline to Speedy Banks or Braylon Addison over the middle. And then you got Jeremiah. And I grew up kind of watching Jeremiah when he was an Oregon Duck. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, seeing his game, I, personally, out of the three, I, I probably would like to see Jeremiah have the most success. And I think he might be the most complete quarterback out of the three, even though Caleros has had such a great season, but I just look at Jeremiah and, and he can run, he can make plays, but he can throw some awesome rhythm into his game. When he, when he gets going and he's on a roll, mm-hmm. he's one of the hardest quarterbacks to stop in the CFL. And so I think if you, if I was the coach in Hamilton right now, I'd probably go with Masoli over Evans mm-hmm. just for the simple fact of what he, you, you saw what Dane Evans did last year in the great cup. Right. Now, can he handle the spotlight again? Or, you know, is he going to kind of get shell-shocked like this? Because that Winnipeg front's the same Winnipeg front that he played, you know, maybe minus a couple players here or there. But ultimately, you know, Jeremiah, just his ability to make plays outside of the pocket might give enough stress to that defense and make them play a little bit more disciplined in Winnipeg than just pin their ears back and let's go get him. Because Dane Evans isn't scaring you with his legs nearly as much as Jeremiah Masoli is. That's very true and and some good insight. I mean, the Bombers, where they're beating everybody up is up up front, right? Both offensively and defensively. So I think that's a good point. Right. How about switching gears here, Coach? There's been a lot of movement in the NCAA. Coaches, you know, leaving schools, going to other schools. Kind of the one that obviously pops off to me is Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to go to USC. How do you feel about that? Do you think that he can turn that program around and, and bring back kind of the glory 
Um, and will his offense work in the Pac-12? Yeah, honestly, Lincoln Riley going to USC to me is huge. It gives some validity to the Pac-12 again. Like the Pac-12 basically since Pete Carroll left USC has kind of been in this odd abyss almost. Like they're they're a power five conference, but their teams never seem to stock up. You had a couple years there with Mariota and uh, and the Ducks, and you had a couple years there with the Huskies and Chris Peterson when they you know went to the Peach Bowl versus Alabama. But you've never had a consistent power coming out of the Pac-12 where you went, you know what, this team can go and play against an SEC opponent. Lincoln Riley coming to USC, I think it's a home run higher for USC. I think his offense will work there. It kind of, the Pac-12 in a way is similar to the Big 12, you yeah. know. They, they have a lot of talented offensive players, receivers, quarterbacks that are on the West Coast. You know, you look at some of these quarterbacks, for an example, that you know, our West Coast quarterbacks, you've got C.J. Stroud in Ohio State, California kid. You've got Bryce Young down in Alabama, California kid. So I think, you know, bringing Lincoln Riley to USC kind of starts to build that wall around the state of California again, which Pete Carroll infamously did so well back in his run with the Trojans, where, you know, those Ohio State teams and the Alabamas and that would come and they try and get guys out of California, but they weren't leaving because they were going just down the road to USC because how can you pass up living in Manhattan Beach or on the beach, going to L.A., being the hot ticket in town? You know, you look at some of those teams that Pete Carroll had. They were more famous than some of the celebrities that were in Hollywood at the time. You had Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, and those guys all, you know, floating around down there. So um, I do think it'll work. I think it'll be dependent on how he builds his offensive line um, at USC. Because the one thing people kind of lose sight of with Lincoln Riley and, and what he did at Oklahoma was – the reason they struggled so much this year was their offensive line wasn't very good. It wasn't one of his better offensive lines he's had at Oklahoma. He, they, they kind of took some steps back there. And if you look at some of the, you know, the Baker Mayfield Oklahoma teams and the Kyler Murray Oklahoma teams, they could run the ball when they needed to run. You had Joe Mixon with Baker Mayfield for a year or two there. So if he can rebuild that offensive line and do it kind of on the fly here, I think he'll have some immediate success in the Pac-12 mainly because if you look at the rest of the landscape there the Pac-12 is kind of all over the place you got you know Jimmy Lake got ousted out of Washington and Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State comes in with his his guys you've got Wash or Oregon I should say just lost their head coach Mario Cristobal just jumped ship over to Miami now since and I think part of that might have had to do with Lincoln Riley now all of a sudden this conference has a top five six uh college coach Mario Cristobal how does Oregon compete now? Because a lot of what Mario Cristobal was doing that was well was he was recruiting in and out of California and getting those players. It's going to be a heck of a lot harder to do now when Lincoln Riley's just, you know, south down the, the I-5, keeping those guys in the state. So it, it was interesting to see Mario leave. I think it puts Oregon in a weird spot, but I'm really interested in the Kalen DeBoer hire for Washington because I thought they were going to go after Matt Campbell out of uh, Iowa State. Um, I think that would have been that's who I would have hired, but clearly they went with the Kalen DeBoer who kind of has that Chris Peterson esque vibe to him, a younger Chris Peterson esque vibe yeah. or Jeff Tedford. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens because the quarterback he had at Fresno state, Jake Hayner just entered the transfer portal mm-hmm. and everyone seems to think he's going back to Washington where he originally was. But in Washington, you got Sam Hewitt and Dylan Morris there. And Sam Hewitt is your A legacy quarterback, considering his dad and uncle were both huge Husky quarterbacks back in the 90s. 
what do you do there if you're Kalen DeVore? Do you bring in Jay Kaner and let him start his last year over Sam Heward and hope Sam Heward sticks around? Because the transfer portal in college football is basically free agency. Yep. You know, you look at Quinn Ewers just left Ohio State because he realized C.J. Strout is going to be their quarterback for the next three years. So he jump and ship and he's got a visit down at Texas. So it's very interesting to see what will happen. I do think, though, this makes the Pac-12 relevant again in college football because it hasn't been relevant for the last five years. Absolutely. Exciting times for the Pac-12 with all this movement. And, and obviously Lincoln Riley going to USC, I think, is going to be going to be huge. Also, how talking about huge, how about his contract? $100 million or something like that? Yeah, it, it, it's a, well, $100 million. He, they had to buy his houses in Oklahoma for over a million over their asking price. He, he has access to the private uh, school jet. Nice. You know, that's a lot to go. He, he has to do well because if he doesn't, you know, it's going to be a big blunder. And and if you fail at USC after the success he had at Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. it's going to kind of put some questions up in the air about how, was it really him doing all the recruiting that it made Oklahoma good? Or was it really what he inherited from Bob Stoops in Oklahoma? Yeah, no, that's very true. Well, we're going to find out. Um, Okay. How about switching gears to the NFL here? Uh, You know, we're getting towards the end of the NFL season. What NFL QB have you found the most intriguing this season? Um, NFL QB I found the most intriguing. So there's a couple. Uh, Josh Allen's one of them. Uh, another one's Kyler Murray, and then another one I'd probably say is Mac Jones um, for okay. New England. And so I'll start with Josh. Sure. I find it really interesting how Josh Allen's kind of gone from being the darling possible, you know, MVP quarterback, you know, candidate or front runner, to everyone saying he's regressed back to his rookie level. Their offense last year caught some teams by surprise because of how much they were passing the ball because Josh Allen wasn't a prolific passer his first two years in the league. He was more known for his ability to run. He was basically Cam Newton 2.0 his first couple years in the league. And I think Buffalo has kind of done him a disservice because they don't have a running game. And that's what kind of bit them in the, the, the rear end, so to speak, this week or this Monday night was they couldn't run the ball. If the weather is bad and you play in Buffalo and you can't run the football, regardless of how strong arm quarterback you got, that's never a recipe for success. You know, so I think it's really interesting to see how their season goes from here because they do have another matchup with New England. I would like to see them start to do stuff to get Josh more in rhythm. I find a lot of the time it's kind of hero ball for Josh. Yeah. Um, and so for that, it, you know, it, it could make things interesting. Kyler Murray, on the other hand, like, the ankle injury, does he come back? And is he going to be nearly as effective without his legs? Because there's Kyler Murray to me is, is, is a almost carbon copy of Russell Wilson in so many ways. The way they play the game, the way they use their legs to create space for themselves and, and passing lanes. Um, so, you know, now you limit that with depending on how bad his ankle is coming back. And he looked pretty good last week versus Chicago. But does that continue? What happens if he takes another shot on that ankle? Like, is he going to be able to just get up and get out of the pocket as quickly as he can? I think he's been the MVP so far this year, for sure. I think he's had the most impact on his team. And then, yeah, you know what? I'll I'll even talk about Russell in that aspect, because I know everyone's got their speculations on what's wrong with Russell Wilson this year. I think for Russell, there's a couple things that are wrong for him. I think, so... As most people know, this offseason, they hired Shane Waldron as our offensive coordinator, and he brought the LA Rams, the Sean McVay system to Seattle, 
Well, part of that is it's mirroring or bringing in the Sean McVay system and trying to mesh it with the Pete Carroll run heavy system. They work in a, in a concept because LA, most people don't understand, they do run the ball. That's kind of their MO. And that was up until they brought Stafford in this year. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's to run to set up the pass. But the problem for Seattle and with Russell and what I've noticed is Russell kind of is like boomer bust passing play wise. If you watch Russell, a lot of the teams now just play him cover too high and they may mix it into cover two man high cover two zone. You know, they, essentially you just got two high safeties and they say, okay, try and throw it outside deep on us and we'll see what happens. And he won't take the middle of the field. And I think part of that is because, he thinks he has to do so much to get this team going in the right direction offensively, rather than just take the easy play that's there. So I think for him, it's kind of a uh, issue with the offensive philosophy mixed with his own issues that he's developed over his career, where he doesn't take the easy play because before their offense was predicated on hand the ball to beast mode and drop back and throw it over someone's head when they pack the box. Mm -hmm. Now you're trying to tell this guy, you know, there's that old saying, you can't teach a dog, new trick, old dog, new tricks. You're trying to do that with Russell. You're trying to tell him, okay, now you got to change. And Russell not having his, excuse me, his legs like he used to. Russell Wilson doesn't have his legs. Yeah. Like he does, but they're nowhere near what, you know, you want to see Russell Wilson, go watch Kyler Murray. That's what he used to look like. Now he's this, you know, kind of shell of himself athletically. So what do you do in that regard with that? You've got to learn to adapt and change. And that's kind of, you know, where Russell's stuck right now and where I think Seattle's stuck is because they don't know this offseason, like, what are they going to do? I think Pete Carroll will be gone and they'll bring in some offensive guy that can get more out of Russell, but you don't know. And then the final quarterback, Mac Jones. Everyone this week I've heard talk Mac Jones. And New England ran the ball so much because they couldn't trust Mac Jones's arm and Gale Forrest wins. Right. And I think that's a bad rap for that kid because I yeah. really, truly believe that he is a good quarterback. Now, I'm not saying he is an elite arm strength quarterback, but they're not asking him to be in New England. Right. They're not asking him to be throw it all over the field, Patrick Mahomes. They're asking him to run a system, and then he's going to get that tag as a game manager. Every quarterback's a game manager. You are there to manage the game and create positive plays for your team. And I hate that tag that so many media outlets throw on quarterbacks, like it's the, the taboo word of, Oh, that quarterback's a game manager and you can't have it. No, every quarterback, the quarterbacks that aren't good game managers, are the quarterbacks that are sitting on the bench as backups, because that's why they're there. Exactly. Matt Jones in that game, I if I was the offensive coordinator and I'm running it for three to four yards of play, I ain't gonna go put it in some risky situation where if he throws an out, the ball blows the wrong way because of the wind and it's picked. I'm just gonna run the ball down your throat. And Bill Belichick knew that. He'd come out next week and throw it 45 times with Mac Jones because the game dictates that. But everyone's saying, oh, that's an indictment on Mac Jones that your coach didn't believe you could go throw the ball. Did it work so well for Josh Allen? No. Josh Allen was throwing the ball all over the field, and it didn't work out well for him at all. And, and that's where I get so frustrated when you listen to these so-called experts try and talk about quarterback play and quarterbacks on, on media and these big media outlets like NFL Network and stuff, when really a lot of it depends on what you're going to do for that team you're playing. If I know I'm doing something well and successful, I'm going to do it until you stop me. And that's what people are saying. 46 times of running the ball, Buffalo wasn't stopping him. I can control the game that way. Why not do it? My uh, my Steelers head coach, Mike Tomlin, said a number of years back, there's no style points in football. It's about winning. 
right? And yep. I mean, in that game with the weather, they knew that weather was coming. And, and you're right, they hung their hat on on running the rock. And and I don't think it's a disservice to Mac Jones. I think it's it shows how smart their coaches are and how dedicated they were to just kind of play it out and knowing that Josh Allen was going to have to struggle against the wind and was likely going to throw down the ball a couple times, right? So I, I don't know, like if the game goes differently and, and Buffalo scores a, a couple tugs early on, then you know what? I'm sure Mac Jones would have attempted a few more passes, but uh, based sure. upon how the game unfolded, they called it perfectly. So uh, I'm totally with you on that. And, and just kind of to touch on the some of the NFL quarterbacks, it's interesting. I find it interesting that um, some of these guys, the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allens, Russell Wilson, uh, maybe even Aaron Rodgers to an extent, you know, over the last number of years have been kind of, you know, pumped up about how athletic they are and how they, and you were talking about earlier, how you have to be able to throw off a platform and, you know, kind of do these funky sidearm things at times. But now you're almost seeing some of that show itself and, and not be, uh, kind of to go back to what you are saying earlier, you have to have the basic fundamentals and that has to be kind of the majority of what you do and, and what you stick to. And if there's a throw here or there that you got to, you know, sidearm it or throw off platform or whatever, that's that's how it is. But it just seems like some of those guys, they maybe have lived off that athleticism a little too much. And it seems to be biting them in the butt now. I also find with coaching young quarterbacks that because they're watching these guys be successful, they also think that that's how they need to play the game. And it's like, no, guys, like the ball needs to come out of your hands. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, very interesting to see how things go. I, I also like Kyler Murray, and, man, he, he is so athletic and just a playmaker. He's super exciting. So that's interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, but, I mean, still the man is, is Brady. He's the GOAT. And, you know, like you said earlier, again, is he's a little bit different and old school in terms of, you know, taking a drop and reading the whole defense and getting the ball out of his hands. But, uh, but I mean, man, he's the one that's – he looks the best right now, so we'll see what happens. Coach, I want to finish off today uh, by asking you, as I ask every guest, who is your favorite QB of all time and why? Oh, now see, that's a tough question to answer because, you know, I grew up watching the CFL. I grew up watching the NFL. Sure. Um, you can give me more than one if I'll you give, want. Uh, okay, I'll, I, if I can give you more than one, that'd be ideal. So sure. CFL-wise, it has to be Doug Flutie. Absolutely. Watching him was one of the – best even when he went to buffalo in the nfl and was doing drop kicks and (laughs) but just the way he played the game he he made the cfl what it is in some aspects today because Mm -hmm. i don't feel if the cfl had got doug flutie it would have survived much longer but he was just able to take you know a two and 14 toronto argonauts team one year and make him a great cup champion the next year just by adding him to that team because he was just so remarkable at what he could do um so i would definitely and and another cfl quarterback i loved growing up was dave dickinson Mm -hmm. i loved his mental preparation of the game like yeah he didn't have the flashy arm and i remember here in bc we had the casey printers dave dickinson dilemma right casey printers was athletic but casey printers you know he struggled when it came to hey you got to read a defense to make a throw on time not something that was a strong suit and you saw it the more he went on in his football career um, but Dave, he was the only thing that bit Dave in the butt was his concussion history and injury history and shortened his career, I think, probably a couple of years early. NFL wise, you know, Tom Brady's always been fun to watch because of just his mental. I'm a big Peyton Manning guy. Yeah. I loved watching Peyton and just his command of the offense on the field. He, you know, he essentially was a coach. Like he, was. he didn't need an offensive coordinator. He needed someone to say, hey, here's three ideas <laughs> you pick and you, you figure it out. 
Um, and just watching him, even as his career went on, you know, watching him with Denver and, and stuff like that, he, he was just so remarkable in getting the team in the right play. And then, you know, you listen to him on Monday Night Broadcast now, and he's probably one of the best broadcasters out there just to listen to how he describes the game, what he sees, what he, what he thinks they should do. So, um, and, you know, the other one I'd probably go with in the NFL, just as a pure passer, would be Dan Marino. Yeah. Dan Marino's ability to get rid of that ball at quick release and just flick it and it was gone. Like, and especially in the era he played in in the 80s when receivers could get grabbed and everything, and it wasn't really a passing game for what he was able to do in that 83 season with the, you know, 50 or sorry, 48 touchdown passes. It was unheard of. It was uncanny. And, you know, I just, I think it's a shame he was never able to get a Super Bowl because I think that would completely change the narrative around. Dan Marino and because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget about him they, they kind of you know you go with the Elway the Aikman the, the Montana the young far and he always seems to be left out of that conversation in a lot of aspects I would take Dan Marino over some of those guys I'd probably take Dan Marino over Brett Favre and John Elway you know mm-hmm. the only one I wouldn't take him over in that discussion is probably Joe Montana right but we all know the reason for you know not taking him over Joe Montana so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are probably the quarterbacks that I, I would go with and say those are the guys that, you know, stand out to me that, you know, I grew up kind of watching and idolizing my games after and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, that's, that's an awesome list of guys. I can, uh, I can, you know, definitely agree with you on every single one of them. Doug Flutie, you know, being able to watch him when I was growing up, watching him play in Canada, he was like Michael Jordan of the CFL, right? Like, like you said, like he was so phenomenal. Nobody could even match his ability. Uh, Dickinson, again, was a cerebral player, great quarterback. Peyton Manning, again, is one of my favorites as well, and and great point about the fact that he wasn't just the quarterback. I love that debate maybe four or five years ago, you know, Brady versus Peyton Manning, who's the better quarterback, and my argument always was, well, Peyton Manning is not just the quarterback. He's the OC and the play caller. Uh, Tom, yeah. Tom Brady doesn't do either of those things. You know, maybe it's different now. And uh, the more Super Bowls Tom wins, the argument, uh, my argument lessens. But uh, but anyways, those are those were great choices, Coach. So uh, thank you for that. I want to thank you also for being on. We're at the end of the podcast. And unfortunately, it's time to go. But I uh, appreciate you being on and us being able to connect and get to know each other better and get, you know, get deep into QB mechanics and, all the work you're doing with uh, AQA, how can uh, how can young players, if they're going to BC or they're going to be in your area, how can they get in touch with you to uh, maybe get some training in? So there's a couple different ways. Um, there's AllianceQuarterbackAcademy.com. So you can type that right into your you know internet search history, and it'll come right up with you know our program, our coaches, um, that whole side of things, and then basically Instagram. So I have an Instagram, Twitter. Facebook account, just send me a message if you're ever in the area. Um, and, you know, it's for Instagram, it's Bryce Coops AQA. If you're ever interested, just DM me, you know, when you're going to be in the area, when you'd like to get a workout in. And uh, I respond usually within the day or within, you know, 48 hours and we can set something up. Excellent. All right, coach, I want to thank you again for being on. Appreciate the time. I hope you had a good time. I was great. I look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. We'll have to do this again. I also want to thank the audience who's listening. And, uh, you know, we're back for season two and lots of good guests coming your way. So thanks again for everybody who's tuning in. And I want you to have a good night. Take care.